You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. You look there um, at your handout tonight, you see where we are headed on Wednesday nights. I told you last Wednesday that I had kind of a clue where I wanted to go, but I wasn't quite sure yet. And I've been wanting to, um, I've been wanting to preach through Ezekiel for a long, long time. I've never preached through this book, um, never gone uh, through it in, in that manner. I, I read it every year in my Bible reading plan, and every time I'm reading Ezekiel, I think this is fascinating. Some of this is a little bit weird. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in this book. I, I think every year I would love to teach this and and kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to do it on a Wednesday night and just teach through the book of Ezekiel. Now, you, you might notice, if you skipped ahead to the end, there are 48 chapters in Ezekiel. And you're thinking, okay, he started Ephesians last fall, and there are six chapters, and we're starting chapter 4 this Sunday. Uh, so I already had um, Barry come to me and, and wonder if we would get through it before he dies. So... Um, so, but we're going we're gonna to approach it a little bit different, it's a different genre, so, you know, we, we won't go quite as slow as Ephesians, we may start out just kind of slow, but, but as we get rolling, we'll probably, you know, there'll be times we take a chapter, or a couple chapters, or three chapters at a time, and, and kind of keep the big picture in mind, so we'll, we'll get rolling and go fast, but I have no idea how long it'll take, uh, we, we will see. Um, and tonight is just kind of introduction, we're going to start in, in chapter one and get going, and uh, then, uh, and then, just kind of work our way through. It's a fascinating book of the Bible. One other kind of interesting insight as to why I chose this: uh, if you use the through the Bible Bible study material on Sunday mornings, that we have two different um, curriculums that that classes use. But if you use through the Bible, you went through Ezekiel. Uh, a couple months ago, something like that, maybe earlier in the year. And I had, I had a good number of questions, people asking me about Ezekiel. So I know there's some, some curiosity there and some things that, that we want to um, learn. So you can go ahead and turn your Bible. You may want to put your ribbon at Ezekiel chapter 1, all right? Because we're going to be turning back there. By the time we're through, your Bible will just fall open to Ezekiel, okay? It'll uh, just get you there. It's... Um, Right after the book of Jeremiah, Lamentations, uh, right before Daniel. Okay, so it's between Lamentations and Daniel in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. Now, uh, you may have heard this phrase before, but the Old Testament, the, the latter half of the Old Testament, consists of minor prophets and major prophets. That designation has nothing to do with the, the, uh, the message the messages in the minor prophets and major prophets are both very uh, relevant, serious messages that we need to heed. The, the phrase minor or major prophet refers to the length of the book. And so the minor prophets are the prophets that are shorter in length, like Habakkuk. I think Habakkuk's three chapters and, and Amos and um, Obadiah. Uh, you know, books like that that are, that are shorter in length. The major prophets are long, like 
uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Isaiah, I think 66 chapters. So uh, that's why Ezekiel is named as one of the major prophets. So look there with me, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles, that word exiles is very important. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. And I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal. That's important as well. It gives you a little bit of clue as to the location. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the, on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So we're just going to stick with those three verses tonight because we're going to kind of back up and look at some background and sort of introduce the book and, and kind of whet your appetite as to what is coming so we understand it as it unfolds. But the first thing I want you to notice is that this book is named after the prophet. It says there, the word of the Lord, verse 3, came to Ezekiel. And notice it gives us a little bit of information. He was a priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans. Now, we don't know much about his dad, uh, but we do know that if he was a priest, his father was a priest. And we know, more about this later, that he was in exile in the land of the Chaldeans or the land of the Babylonians. So Ezekiel was a um, priest. It also says in the 30th year, which scholars believe refers to the 30th year of Ezekiel, which was the time when a priest became eligible to serve in the temple. So this is his time coming of age. Now, at this time period the Jews had been snatched from their homeland and the temple was about to be destroyed. And if you were a priest, you really didn't have much to do. You were taken to another land, a foreign land, far away from the temple, far away from the furnishings of the temple, far away from the duties that priests would carry out. So if you're Ezekiel, you're probably thinking... I'm never going to, to be able to serve God like I thought I was going to be able to serve God. I'm, here I am, I'm turning 30. I should be uh, initiated into the temple duties now and take my role and take my place. But here I am in a foreign land, uh, hundreds of miles away from the temple. I, I'm never going to serve God in that manner. But it's interesting, on, it, on his 30th year, God has something special for him to do. So he sees here that he is a um, priest. His name, the, the, the name Ezekiel, means God strengthens. God strengthens, which lines up well with the end of verse 3 when it says, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. I love that phrase. The hand of the Lord was upon him there. That's a way of saying God's favor and blessing and strength uh, were upon Ezekiel. God was helping him. God was encouraging him. God was strengthening him. God was using him. His hand was upon uh, him. And by the way, that should be all of our desire, that whatever God has for us, however God is serving us, that we would uh, serve him 
in His strength and that His hand would be upon us as we serve the Lord. Whatever God has for us as we serve Him, we want God's hand to be upon us as we live the Christian um, life. And so Ezekiel means God strengthens, a priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the um, Chaldeans. Now we're going to see as the book unfolds that the book unfolds around visions that God gives Ezekiel, that Ezekiel is supposed to communicate to the Jews living in Babylon. So there are really three major visions. We'll see that as we work our way through. But God would reveal the visions, and Ezekiel would uh, tell about those visions. He would prophesy about those visions. He would speak God's truth about those visions to God's people. So he was a prophet. He was speaking forth on behalf of God. He would, he would say, this is what God says to you. Thus says the Lord. But not only, and this is interesting, not only was Ezekiel a prophet, he was a parable. Because God would have him act out these rituals to teach the people of, uh, of Judea what was coming or some spiritual truth. And so there's going to be some crazy, we're going to read some crazy stuff. I'm just, I'm just kind of giving you a forewarning. If you want to read ahead, feel free. But he, 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 he tells Ezekiel, commands Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do to act out some things to really picture my my truth for the people. And so he's a, he's a prophet, he's a parable, uh, he, 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 he's a servant of the people, but he's also a sign for the people. They would see him act out some of these different uh, truths. And so that's who this book is named after, and the, the, the 48 chapters are Ezekiel's message to God's people. Now, we've talked a little bit about Chaldea, another name for Babylon, and we, we've noted that that Jeremiah is in Babylon. It says there, right by the river, the Kibar Canal, a river that flowed out of uh, Babylon. And we need to ask the question, why was this Jewish priest in Babylon? Okay, Why was the Jewish priest in Babylon? So I want to just give you a very quick overview of the history of God's people, the nation of Israel, to help you to understand why... Ezekiel was in Babylon. So if you go back to Abraham, God said, Abraham will give you a son, give you and Sarah a son, the promised one. Through him I'll give you many descendants. Abraham will have Isaac, Isaac will have Jacob, Jacob will have Joseph. And through your descendants I'll build a great nation. Right? Remember that? That's, That's over in Genesis chapter 12. And we see in Genesis 12 that God said, I'm going to give... Uh, your descendants, this nation, I will build a land in which to live, and I will use them to bless all the peoples on the face of the earth. Which, as we look at that promise, that that covenant with Abraham, through the lenses of the entire scriptures, we understand that that was fulfilled in Christ. Because Jesus Christ came through the Jews, came through the lineage of the Jews. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sins of the world. Correct? So through his death, he could provide the blessing of salvation to anyone that will receive it by faith. And so that was all pictured in the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12. And God, as he always does, kept his promise, his covenant with Abraham. He gave him a son. His son had sons. His his grandsons had sons. And and over time, the nation, uh, the, the descendants of Abraham became a great nation. We know them as the Jewish people or the Hebrews. As the story unfolds, 
they have to come to Egypt to survive. Remember the story of uh, Joseph through many different circumstances. He becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. He's able to provide for Abraham's descendants, Jacob's sons, during a great time of famine. So God preserves the seed of Abraham, preserves the Jewish uh, people. And then uh, after that, they find themselves under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh and they cry out to God. So God raises up Moses and says, go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do it. He said, you better do it. I'm not going to do it. So God sends how many plagues? Ten plagues. He sends these devastating plagues on Egypt, ending with the plague of the firstborn, death of the firstborn son. And finally, uh, and I'm really compressing the story, but finally, uh, Pharaoh lets Israel go. Uh, the, the Abraham's descendants, they are leaving Egypt, but Pharaoh changes his mind. He, he gathers his army. He's going to crush the Hebrews, but God parts the Red Sea. They go across on dry ground. When Pharaoh tries to follow them, or Pharaoh's army tries to follow them, God allows the waters to go back to their place, drowning Pharaoh's army, decimating Pharaoh's army. And then you have the Hebrews delivered from Egyptian bondage and slavery. And then at the end of Exodus, he gives them a law by which to live. He gives them ceremonial laws. He gives them um, civil laws. He gives them the moral law, which we would call the Ten Commandments. This is how I expect you to live your life. This is how I expect you to, to walk with me and live with me. And these are your responsibilities and my expectations, the Lord says to them. And he says, okay, here's the law. There's the promised land. Go in and enjoy it. But they made a mistake, okay? They formed a committee, all right? And instead of just obeying God, they got a committee together. And the committee went in and said, oh, man, it is just like the Lord said. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is beautiful. It's wonderful. But listen, there are these big, big people in the land. We can't defeat them. We can't overthrow them, so we should not go in. Two of the 12 spies that went in, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, Obey God. He'll give us victory. Let's go. Let's, let's overthrow those giants. But the ten outvoted the two. Hey, by the way, you know the majority is not always right. All right? The ten outvoted the two. And, uh, and so God, uh, as an act of judgment, says, Okay, you'll wander for 40 years in the wilderness. I'll lead you. I'll provide for you. But you will wander in the wilderness until this unbelieving generation dies off. That's exactly what happened after the unbelieving generation died off. Uh, God raises up Joshua to take the leadership place of Moses. And he says, okay, go into the promised land. The book of Joshua is the story of the Israelites crossing the Jordan, going into the promised land, and God overthrowing the nations that lived there, giving them possession of the land. But they didn't fully obey God. They did not fully destroy the people living there. They kind of cozied up to them a little bit and began to live uh, as neighbors to these unbelieving pagan peoples, and eventually the pagan beliefs, the false gods, began to creep into the life of the nation of Israel, and they began to be led astray by these four nations that they did not completely drive out. And then you get to the book of Judges, and it's just a big mess. It, Judges, The book of Judges is a depressing book because it says every person was doing what was right in their own eyes. And it was chaos. Sounds kind of like our nation today. It was just, it was just pure 
chaos and some awful things happen in the book of Judges, but God doesn't destroy them. He keeps giving them some leaders to, to lead them out of trouble, and he preserves them, keeps them together as a people, but they were living in rebellion against the Lord. But even in the midst of the book of Judges, the book of Ruth is happening, God's still working on providing a, a line that would lead to the Messiah and you know the story of Ruth. Ruth marries Boaz. Boaz is Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse has David. And through the line of David, through the Hebrew people, the Messiah would come. So even as Judges is just chaos, God's working. God's working in the book of Ruth, which happened in the time of the Judges. And then God raised up a great leader for the Israelites. His name was Samuel. Samuel was the one that that uh, was a prophet of God, and he was uh, trained under Eli. And Samuel was a wonderful, wonderful leader. He led them to great victories of the Philistines. That's where we get the word Ebenezer from. Remember when uh, Samuel led them over, uh, or led them to a victory over the Philistines? They had this rock, uh, and they named the rock "God has helped us." Right, and and uh, and they were they were achieving great, great things as a nation. But the people said. Hey, we, we appreciate this prophet speaking to us directly from God, but you know, all the other nations have kings. And we want to give us a king. Well, like, we think we should have a king, so give us a king. And Samuel tells him, he's straight up, it's not going to be best for you. Give us a king. He's going, to, he's going to take your sons and daughters and use them to serve him. And, and give us a king, give us a king. And so God says to Samuel, give them what they want. They want a king, give them a king. And by the way, by the way, one of the ways that God judges, sometimes God judges with direct intervention and, and punishment uh, and, 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 and discipline. Sometimes God judges by letting you have what you want. Letting you, think of prodigal son, right? Gave him his, gave him his inheritance. Hey, go have what you want. And that didn't turn out so well for him. Um, and so God gives them what they want, and God raises up. This is, this is very important in the whole scheme of things. God raises up a king named Saul who looked the part. The Bible says he was a head and shoulders above all the other people. I'm getting to Ezekiel, okay? Just hang in there. Uh, head and shoulders above all the other folks. A great king. It, it, may, it may take us a while, Barry, now that I'm thinking about it. He was, he was head and shoulders above uh, all the other people, and God anoints him. And Saul starts off great. He's, he's humble, and he's, he has some military uh, acumen and leads him to some victories. The Holy Spirit empowers him, and things are looking great. And the people are excited. We have a king. Look at our king. His name is Saul. But then Saul began to disobey, and, and Saul began to be filled with pride. And uh, he... he um, rebelled against the Lord, and so the Lord decided to take the kingdom away from him and give it to another man, a man after his own heart. Who was that? David. Samuel is led by God to the house of Jesse, uh, and David wasn't even in the room when he was thought he was going to anoint the next king, and he goes to each of the sons, and God said, not him, not him, not him. And David finally says to Jesse, is there another, do you have another son anywhere? He said, well, just, you know, David, he's out there keeping the sheep. Bring him in. And he brings him in, and he is, uh, he is the one that God chose to be the next king. He doesn't, he doesn't immediately become the next king. He begins to serve, actually serve Saul, the whole story of David and Goliath. Remember that story? 
Uh, Goliath is challenging the, the people of God, and Saul should have been fighting him because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. But Saul wouldn't fight him, and so David comes up. He's anointed by the Spirit of God. He wants to fight for the glory of God. He, who is this uncircumcised Philistine uh, you know, cursing our God? And David goes out and defeats him and, and wins a great victory. God's hand was on him, like Ezekiel. God's hand was on him. He begins to win other victories, and Saul gets insanely jealous, even trying to kill him. And so David has to flee for his life, and, and uh, there's a whole story about that in 1 Samuel where David is running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. Eventually, Saul dies in battle along with his sons. And after some more drama, uh, David becomes the king of all 12 tribes. There was a, a short time when he was a king over uh, Judah and Benjamin and not the other 10 tribes. Uh, but then he becomes king over all the tribes, all the nation of Israel. He's a good king. God prospers him. He blew it a couple times. He, he, he did some really um, immoral things, David and Bathsheba, and it cost him dearly. But, but he was all in all a good leader for Israel, and it was a time of great prosperity for Israel. I'm getting somewhere with this. And then David died. His son Solomon is raised up to be the next king. Things go well. Solomon is wise. He asks for wisdom. Again, he leads well. Great prosperity among the nation. Solomon did some dumb things too. His heart was led away from the Lord by foreign wives and concubines who served false gods. He was led astray. It, it, uh, it, it really um, affected him. But all in all, God blessed the leadership of Solomon to bless the people of God, the, the Israelites, the Jews. And then Solomon died. Now, this is where we get back to Ezekiel. Solomon died, and Rehoboam was the next in line to be the king. And Rehoboam decided to bring his buddies in as counselors. He's a young guy. And instead of getting Solomon's advisors in, the, the, the older, wiser counselors, he says, hey, come here, my, my running buddies. He brings them in and says, what should I do? And they say, do what you want. Tax them, uh, take advantage of the people. They'll have to obey. You're the king. Now do what you want to do. And so Rehoboam takes the advice of his young buddies and things go bad. In fact, there's a division among the Jews, among the Israelites. There, it, it really comes to civil war. At that moment, there is a, a division. A, and, and the division is basically... Ten tribes, which you'll see in the Bible called Israel, or the northern kingdom, and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that are called the southern kingdom, or Judah. So when you're reading through First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you see Judah, it's usually referring to the southern kingdom. Israel usually refers to the northern kingdom. Both kingdoms were wicked. Okay, uh, I think the northern kingdom had like, I think 17 kings, and all of them were wicked. Ahab and Jezebel, you know, kings like that. They were very, very wicked. Um, Judah had a couple of bright spots, but all in all, the trajectory was down for the southern uh, kingdom. And eventually, the northern kingdom got overthrown by the Assyrian Empire. They were the, the king of the hill for a while, and they were taken into exile. And then the southern kingdom rebelled against God, and God sent a, a, a new kid on the block, a, an emerging empire called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians marched into Judah, marched into Jerusalem, and took Israelites or Jews 
captive back to Babylon, including people like Ezekiel. That's why Ezekiel was in Babylon. God had sent the Babylonians to overthrow his people as an act of judgment and take them captive. This is called the Babylonian exile, when the Jews were exiled into that land. So let me give you just a, just a little bit of historical background. This is there in your notes. 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar takes the temple treasures in Babylon, and he took some Jews captive. So 605 B.C., that's 7th century B.C. Remember, B.C., you're counting down. So 605 is later than 600, uh, farther back in, in history. You're counting down with B.C. And Nebuchadnezzar, you've heard his name in the Bible, he comes into, to, uh, to, to Jerusalem, and he takes a lot of stuff out of the temple, and he took some Jews captive. This is when... Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, uh, that was their Babylonian names, that's when they were taken from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and taken to Babylon. So that's kind of the first wave. And then in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to Jerusalem, takes more Judeans, including the royal family, back to Babylon. Then there were some Jews who were left to kind of manage the land, but they revolted against Babylon in 587 B.C. In 586, a major date in Jewish history, in 586, the Babylonians came and burned Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Now that's important because we're going to talk a lot about the temple in this book. They destroyed the temple and took more captives back to Babylon. And then in 582 B.C., there was a third deportation of Jews back to Babylon. This was customary, by the way. When you were a conquering empire, you would take people back to serve or to, to be slaves. And, and so there were really four different times, three major times, but four different times that the Babylonians took Jews back with them to Babylon. And I want to show you this. I like to show you how books fit together. Uh, hold your place. Return to Jeremiah. The book right before Ezekiel is Lamentations. The book right before Lamentations is Jeremiah. And look in Jeremiah chapter 52, near the end of the book. Jeremiah 52. Jeremiah was a prophet as all this is going on with the Babylonians. And he gives us a summary statement in Jeremiah 52 verse 28. Y'all didn't know we'd go from Genesis to Ezekiel tonight, did you? You didn't know we? No. I snuck that in. All right. Genesis, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 28. Look what the Bible says. This is the number of people whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, carried away captive in the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem, 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans, 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. Now, scholars believe this refers to men only. So when you add women and children to this, you're probably in the realm of somewhere between fourteen to 18,000 people. This is a large movement of people that are taken from Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and into captivity in the country of Babylon. This was a major, major deal. Now, in 12 different places, turn about Ezekiel. In 12 different places, Ezekiel gives us um, a timestamp. He gives us the year and the month and all throughout the book. So we're able to locate with, with, with precision when 
Ezekiel actually was preaching to the Jews. And so here's what we know. This is in your notes. Ezekiel prophesied between 593 and 571 B.C. during this captivity. He was there, the river Kibar, right there in Babylon. He was there, and he's preaching to the Jews during this time. His ministry took place, it started seven years before the temple was destroyed and lasted until 15 years after the temple was destroyed. And so he's there in Babylon. This is important. He's hearing all of this news about his homeland, about the temple, about the destruction, about the people who are still living there. And and during all of this drama, he's a captive, he's in exile, he's a priest, he's been called to be a prophet, And he is preaching against this very dramatic backdrop. This is a time of great upheaval among the Jews. And and he is the one that is speaking on behalf of God to his people during this time. By the way, the Babylonians, again, they were king of the hill for a while. But eventually, the Persians became the dominant empire. They overthrew the Babylonians. It was under the Persians that God began to move on the heart of Cyrus to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland. That's where you, you read about that in the end of Daniel. You read about it in Ezra. You read about it in Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah. God is allowing the people to go back to the homeland. And so there is a, a, a good ending for the Jewish people. And we'll talk about that as we work our way through Ezekiel. So, deep breath. Yes, sir. The second wave. Yep. First major wave, but it was the second time they had taken some Jews captive. Yes. And again, he's snatched away from his homeland, snatched away from his future as a priest, and he's probably thinking, how am I going to serve God? And God has something for him to do here. So let me just give you a quick outline and and a summary, and we'll look at themes very quickly, and then we will uh, have our time of prayer. Oh, yes, ma'am. The Babylonians have a problem with what? What? Yeah, um, that's a great question. There were there were prophets functioning during this, and so it seems that the her question was: Did the Babylonians not have a problem with Ezekiel preaching on behalf of the the God of the Jews, the the one true God? And the, the answer is, um, the Babylonians allowed them to form communities and cities. Uh, you read about that in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah gives them instructions as to how they're supposed to live. You know the, the famous passage, I, I know the plans I have for you, uh, plans for a future, plans not to harm you, but plans for good. And he tells them in that passage, I want you to build cities, I want you to work the fields, I want you to be a blessing to those around you. And so the Jews were setting up communities. They were there for you know decades. They were same communities, and they allowed them to, to have... Um, religious um, expressions uh, in some way, shape, or form, because Ezekiel here is preaching to them. So, uh, yeah, it's a good, that's a great question. Now, some of them, like, um, like the Hebrew boys, you know, they tried to turn them to Babylonian ways and try to use the brilliant mind, the brilliant young Hebrew minds to serve the, their gods, um, but it didn't happen because they were brave, yeah. So, um, yeah, so here's the outline. Uh, Chapters 1 through 3 is the prophet's call. We'll be working through that in the next few weeks. Interesting stuff, how God called Ezekiel to this task. Chapters 4 through 24 is a message of judgment for Jerusalem and Judea, or Judah. So he's talking to um, the city of Jerusalem, 
the, the area of Judah, the tribe of Judah, which is uh, Judea is the, uh, again the surrounding area around Jerusalem, basically the southern kingdom. Third, there's a message for foreign nations. You're going to see God has some things to say to other nations as well, not just the Jews. All right, so uh, messages to foreign nations, 25 through 32. And, and then the fourth part is a message after the fall of Jerusalem. Again, a major moment in Jewish history. All right, Nebuchadnezzar came in, burned the city down, destroyed the temple. Major deal. Okay. And, uh, and there's a message for Israel after the fall of Jerusalem. That's where you get into the Valley of the Dry Bones. You ever heard of that section? Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, you know, he preaches to bones, dry bones. We'll talk about what that, all that's about. But basically, the, the context is your nation has been devastated, decimated. Does God have a future for the Jews? And that's where he preaches that message. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And, and then. The fifth part is there's a vision of restoration. God's future for his people, God's glorious future, uh, God's glorious plans through his people. And uh, we'll talk about that a lot. Too. There's, a, there's a temple that's mentioned in the last part of the book, and people have a lot of scholarly discussion about what temple that's referring to. So we'll get there, but it's pretty uh, fascinating stuff. So that's just a basic outline. And again, that's a very broad outline. There's a lot of sub, um, sub points under each of these. Uh, points. And let me give you the summary. We'll share this each week. I'll say this every week till you get tired of it. Kendall Easley was um, one of my professors in seminary. He was a New Testament and Greek professor, and he was a great, great teacher. And he just had a gift of summary, of just being able to summarize um, books of the Bible. In, in fact, I use his summary of the entire Bible all the time. Uh, he, he says that the Bible is about the Lord God through his Christ graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for their good and for his own glory. That's the Bible in a nutshell. Just one sentence. Those summaries really helped me to think about, uh, think about uh, what these books are about. Here's his summary for, and by the way, he's with the Lord now, Dr. Easley, but uh, I just, he was a great, great teacher. But here, here's a summary for the book of Ezekiel. From exile in Babylon, Ezekiel's stunning visions and startling symbolic acts. Remember, he was a parable too. Not just a preacher, a parable. Startling symbolic acts were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them in the history of his kingdom so that they shall know that I am the Lord. That last phrase is very important. God is, is showing them all this so they will know some things about him. All right? So that is a summary of this book. And we'll, we'll share the summary each night that we study the book of Ezekiel. So... What I want to do is we're going to close after this. I want to give you just very quickly some themes to look for. We won't go to all the passages right now because we just don't have time. But you can look up those passages on your own time. But let me just walk you through these, these six themes. I'm a guy, I just, I'm very helped. I'm helped when I study the Bible by, by major themes. When I'm looking for some, some, some strands, some, some connected thought through a book, it really helps me to understand it better. And as we work through Ezekiel, we'll see some connections there and some themes that are woven throughout this book. And we see them, we'll say, ha, there it is. And it'll be exciting, okay? Or at least it will to me. So let me give you these six themes to look for. Number one, God is holy and awesome. God is holy and awesome. Um, fast forward to the end of chapter 1, verse uh, 28. God gives them a, a, a vision 
an appearance. Uh, of, he manifests himself, his glory to Ezekiel. And it says the last part of chapter 1, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So God gives him kind of a sneak peek, kind of pulls the curtain back a little bit so he can see something of the glory of God. He said, when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. And we're going to see this all throughout Scripture that, that God is reminding his people, I am a holy God. I am a, I am a awesome God. God. I've heard people say this, you know, about questions they have for God when they get to heaven, and uh, and I and I do too. I mean, I, one of the blessings of eternity is uh, we'll get to you know spend time with the Lord, and He'll help us to understand understand it all better by and by. Right? That's going to be awesome. But I've heard some people say it with kind of this flippant. Well, I, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for God. Like they're going to get to heaven and just go run into God's presence. Hey, God, here's my list of things I want you to answer. No, no listen. To ask God questions, we're, we're going to have to get up off of our face. Because when we see his unveiled glory, we will be on our face before him. Ezekiel sees just kind of a glimpse of it, just kind of just a little bit. And he's on his face. And so... It's a, it's a major theme. God is holy and awesome. We'll, we'll see that over and over again through this book. Number two, God deals with nations and individuals. This is important. There are sometimes God is, Ezekiel's talking about his dealing with nations. Some of it's him dealing with individual people. All right? That's very important to understand. God deals with nations and individuals. Number three, God wants people to know who he is. God wants people to know who he is. Um, look in uh, chapter five, just real, real quickly. All right, let's do chapter six. Look in chapter six with me. Verse seven. It's a statement of judgment against the idolatry of God's people. But look what he says in verse seven. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Look in verse 10. They shall know that I am the Lord. Look in verse 13. You shall know that I am the Lord. Look in verse 14. He says there, you getting the point here? Verse 14. He says, then, last part of that verse, then they will know that I am the Lord. And you'll see this phrase over and over again through the book of Ezekiel. Not just this chapter. Over and over again, they will know. When they see me work, when they see me move, when they see me judge, or they see me save, when they see me throw out you know, my wrath, they see me deliver, whatever I'm doing, they're going to know that I am the Lord. He wants them to know who he is. And so this phrase, they will know that I'm the Lord, is used 59 times in the book. Major thing. You can't understand Ezekiel without understanding that God is working so you'll know who he is. And also... You'll see the title, Lord God, a lot throughout the book. Um, look in uh, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord God, speaking on behalf of God, Lord God. So you'll see that, that phrase, Lord God, together, um, which is the, the phrase um, uh, Adonai Elohim. So Adonai is the basic name for Lord or Master or Boss. Uh, Elohim's the, 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 the name, uh, one of the titles for God. And saying Lord God, putting those two together is like saying um, 
the sovereign one, or the I think NIV translates it sovereign Lord. Um, they, it's translated different ways in different um, translations, but this 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 putting together of Lord and God is used over four hundred times in the book. So just a reminder. God is sovereign. God is not just God, he's the Lord God. Not just Lord, he's the Lord God. He's, he, he is the one over it all. And he wants them to know who he is. That's the third major theme. Fourth major theme, God acts primarily for the sake of his name. Look over in uh, chapter 20, verse 9. Chapter 20, verse 9. He says there, I acted for the sake of my name. Look in verse 12. I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So there's that phrase, that they, they may know I am um, the Lord. Um, um, verse 14, I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. And we'll see this phrase often throughout Ezekiel. It's used more than 60 times. That God acts, God does what he does for the sake of his name. Primarily, human history is about him. Now, we get, we get a part in all of this. God made us. He made us for a purpose. We get to know him. We get to be blessed by him. We have a relationship with him. But primarily, human history is not about us. It's about showcasing his greatness, his glory. It's about Him. Uh, God acts primarily for the sake of His name. We get blessings from the way God acts and the things God does, but it's, all, it's, it's ultimately for His glory. God acts primarily for the sake of His name. That's important to understand, that, that the glory of God is at the foremost of the heart and mind of God because He's worthy of that glory. And we should ascribe glory to his name. Number five, humanity's only hope is the new covenant. There are some great passages in here about the new covenant. Uh, the new covenant God was going to bring about through his son Jesus. So there's a lot of information in Ezekiel pointing to Jesus. And it's going to be great. So I can't wait to get there. Uh, but God's going to usher in this new covenant through his son. We've got two big problems, sin and inability. We're sinners separated from God and we can't save ourselves. And the new covenant addresses both of these problems. So he's going to tell us in the new covenant passages, I'm going to forgive you of your sins and I'm going to give you a new heart so you can obey me now. We'll talk about that. Remember in the Lord's Supper, Jesus uh, institutes the Lord's Supper bread and he, he gives them the cup he says this is the new covenant in my blood i'm ushering in a new covenant new relationship with god new promise from god based upon the finished work of christ and then number six we'll see this particularly in chapter 37 valley of the dry bones but throughout the book and throughout the bible this is a major biblical theme god works by his word and by his spirit God works by his word and by his spirit, or by his word through his spirit. God, that's how God works. That's what God does what he does. So if we ask God to send, if we ask God to save a loved one, you know how he's going to save them? By his word through his spirit. The gospel applied to someone's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we ask God to send awakening to our church, he's going to do it 
by his word, through his spirit. If we ask God to send revival to our nation, he's going to do it by his word, through his spirit. That's how God works. That's what the Valley of Dry Bones is all about. That's how God changes people, by his word, through his spirit. So we'll talk a lot about that in the coming days. But those are the six major themes that we will be looking for as we work our way through. Now, again, we're going to take some bigger passages, okay? So we'll, we'll, we may go kind of slow at first, but we'll, we'll speed up and kind of take bigger passages. may not look at every single verse, but hopefully by the time we get through, we'll have a good idea of what this book is about and how it applies to our lives. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.